Welcome to the Flower Hour Podcast, the podcast where conversations blossom. It is your boy, Sean Flores. If you love this podcast and you've really enjoyed it, please share, subscribe and follow and look forward to the journey we will be going on. Hello everyone and a happy Thursday. Um, Welcome to Flower Hour, episode 11. I'm going to be joined today by Julian Andre. We're going to be talking about um, his childhood um, coming from um, an alcohol, alcoholic and a domestic abusive um, household. These are the kind of conversations that I think are needed and it's so important simply because I typically always do political things on my um, podcast at the moment, but I just want to give space to everyone and their story. It's just it's something that people don't always talk about regularly. So I want to just say I'm really thankful that I'm going to have Julian coming on the page and talking about this. So let me see if he's locked in. And I hope everyone's had a good day so far. And I hope you're going to be asking questions and just enjoying um, the very real but very serious conversation that's going to happen. And since it's nearly the end of the week as well, um, Friday's coming. Yeah. So let's see if he's seen this. Yes, Julian, jump in, jump in. Now to send a request. Oh, and also as well, actually, I forgot to mention that I'm going to be having this live is going to probably be continuing for a long time. Um, I'm going to be pushing my podcast onto other streams and other platforms. So hopefully we're going to be going to Apple um, Podcasts. Hopefully we're going to go to Spotify, SoundCloud, everywhere. So people are going to have the opportunity to be able to access it, even if they can't look into these lives as well. And you can play it in the background as well. Julian, has he got it? Let me see if he's got it. Send a request to jump in. He said it's just loading, guys. So hopefully as everyone slowly starts to stream and come in, you're going to catch us right on point for the start of the conversation. Yes, and let's go. We're ready. Hopefully my connection doesn't play up either. Yes, Julian. Yes. How are you? It's man? all working. Can you hear me and everything? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you perfectly well. How Perfect. are you, bro? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. It's been a good day. Had a had my casting today, as I told you, so that kept me quite busy. But here I am now. Um ready to have the conversation, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, same here, same here. Yeah, man. As as I said, I know it's a very personal and a very probably emotional story. So I want to say thank you for just having the conversation and being willing to share it, you know? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, because I think a lot of people will probably benefit from the conversation that we're going to have, most importantly. Yeah, no, I really hope so. I really hope so. Definitely, man. So if you could introduce yourself so everyone knows who you are, um, that would be amazing. So yeah, you can tell us three interesting facts about yourself as well. Three interesting facts. Yeah. For, um, 
yes, obviously my name's Julian. Um, I mean, I guess the most interesting things that have happened are probably going to come up in the interview. So, like, yeah, I've been, um, and I've, I've spoke um, to hundreds of politicians before. Um, I don't know, like, been on national television. Um, yeah, like, yeah, w went to a prestigious school. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of other things that are a bit more like trivial. Like, all right, used to play right. the guitar. I don't know. <laughs> all right, let's go for. I. Right, I'll ask you three really quick fire questions. What football team do you support? You used to support Man United. Don't follow football anymore. Uh, I'm actually quite sad right. to hear that. I can't lie to you. Well, who do you support? Arsenal. I'm sorry. I'm very. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you've last game was pretty good. Yeah, last game. I caught some of it last night. Yeah. All right, let me go for another one. Where do you fall politically? Uh, oh, this is also a complicated one, but I'm happy to talk about it. Now, if we're talking ideologically, I'm more, I'm more right-wing than I am left-wing, but I, I'm not a big fan of the Tories generally. Okay. So, so come election day, what I usually do is I just read the manifestos mm. um, and make a decision mm. based on the policies. Yeah. So I usually vote for a combination of economics and morals, basically, and see which one shapes up the best. But it's usually picking between the lesser of two evils. So, Okay. All right. I'll go, I'll go for one more. Um, let me think of one more. What's your favourite food? Caribbean. Anything Caribbean. All yeah. right, cool. All right, cool. I'm I'll loyal. I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. All right, man. But yeah, let's um, get into it. I wanted to... So obviously, I found your page via um, your this morning appearance. That's when I saw your story, and um, I, you know, I found it quite an, a personally a really emotional story. I think not many people always have the chance to speak about their stories. But if you could let everyone know about your story, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah. So, uh, born into a household in Kennington, South London. Um, it was very dysfunctional from the get-go, really. Like, uh, it was one of those households where my mum and my dad weren't getting on very well. But my mum really wanted to stay because, you know, she wanted to keep the kind of family unit together. But it was just full of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, domestic abuse. And sooner or later, my mum just had enough. But given the situation, given how toxic it, toxic it was, she didn't have any sort of financial support or... She just didn't really know what to do and she left home at 18 because she was in foster care and everything so we left uh she left took me with her but we were homeless and we didn't have anywhere to go like it's it started off kind of on the street as the kind of what you think of when you think of homeless but then it became like sofa surfing we stayed in hostels um then um eventually um we like three friends made of the hostel and just yeah we kind of through the whole process we found some people helped us get on our feet. We got housing. I found a school, um, a church, and then, yeah, just try to make it through. And come year six in primary school, a charity called Bottle UK, which I'm guessing we'll talk about a bit later on, approached the school and said, look, we know this isn't a great area, but we want to sponsor one kid who you think would succeed if it wasn't for their kind of disadvantages. Um, and the school just had a meeting and, like uh, chose me miraculously and um yeah then I went to this boarding school in the Cotswolds from year seven um yeah left and then 
all the way through, just finished my A-levels, well, version of A-levels, and yeah, left home about six months ago. And yeah, now we're here. And how has life been, um, I suppose, ever since you were given that opportunity to go to, was it a private boarding school, right? Yeah, yeah, private boarding school, yeah. Yeah, how, what, what has that private boarding school been like? Because not many people would have had the opportunity. Because I remember when I grew up, um, I wished my mum put me in a private slash boarding school, but obviously she couldn't afford it. And I think I would have done certain things probably a bit sooner. So yeah, what was your experience like? And how has it shaped you to be the young man that you are now? Yeah, well, I mean, just from the get-go, like only 7% of schools in the UK are private and only 1% are boarding schools. So just from the get-go, it's only a, obviously a small percentage of people you get that privilege. Um, and it's a blessing that I went. Uh, I think it just, the biggest thing was the mindset thing, because I remember growing up, it was often that whole narrative of, oh no, well, people, only certain people will be successful. Only certain people will have money. Only success is reserved for the wealthy and those who come from stable families. That was the kind of narrative. Well, that was the philosophy of the area. You go to, you go to a school like where I went to, and they were saying, no, 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 it's not about socioeconomic background per se. It's, how hard you work, it's, you know, the connections you make, it's, are you a personable guy, are you, you know, and it just started to become less about where I came from and more the person that I was going to be. And okay. that was something that I never really, it, it's, it almost sounds silly looking back, but it's just kind of like, you, you never really think about it. You know, like, we're all so impressionable as kids, but I went to the school, obviously it was a really, it was a phenomenal education, it was a sport, but um, yeah, it was, it was the mindset change that really, changed my whole perspective just on life you know so that's probably the biggest thing okay and when you think of what you experienced when you saw what your mother was going through and also in regards to your dad you know how did you cope i suppose i know you were young but mm. i'm sure those memories were extremely vivid what was it like yeah. could you recall that emotional feeling when you saw what was going on yeah i mean yeah as you said i was very young but it it's obviously let's say like, well, in infancy, your earliest memories are developed, right? So growing up, I grew up in quite a, well, in this situation I described, but my earliest memories were made during those time, during that time. And I just remember like, yeah, like aggression. And I, mean, I, just, I have a really clear memory of just a derelict house because um, as my mum and dad started to split, I would kind of go back and forth and, uh, when we went in Kennington, so my dad's French Algerian, so he lived in France. So I'd go back and forth from France as well. Um, and I see, yeah, I remember this really derelict house. I can't, I can't, yeah, it's really, really vivid. But then, obviously, as you get older, you learn more and more and you start to put the pieces together and you understand kind of your story and where you've come from. And I guess those were the more pressing things. And the older you get, obviously, the more you, the more you learn, the more you're, you're like, the more my mum told me. I met my dad at my sister's wedding a little while ago. He told me lots of stuff. Uh, I've got half siblings who have told me things who are older than me, so they remembered more. Um, but yeah, you, you start to get a whole, the whole puzzle. Okay, and yeah. obviously for yourself, a lot of people, as you said, there's this narrative that the stable family is the only way that you can make it. And when you went to a private school, you realised that it's not about the person that you are, but it's the person that you're going to be. How have you been able to have the mentality and the mindset that you have when other children sometimes we allow our circumstances to define mm. us was there yeah. a moment where you were like my mindset needs to change yeah it was very gradual 
I think. But like, I just remember sitting. We have we have we have these really people who go to my school and it's live will know. Like, we have these really um, what often long winded assemblies where a headmaster will say something to us or another teacher or pupil or whatever. And so, there's certain occasions I remember where the headmaster would say something and I just like, oh wow, that really resonated. And it's that combined with just the gradual like you, you see how other people behave and you meet people's families you see the way they even things like spending money like uh, uh, back in Kennington the way people spend money in Kennington versus uh, people in the Cotswolds is completely different you know um, and here's the other thing really like just from base um, often the reason people's situations define them is because they're frustrated by the lack of opportunity you see what I mean so people you know it's the same thing people ask like why is the drill scene increased so much it's not because young people are suddenly way more violent it's well, these young, ambitious people, they've got so much, they, they just don't have any opportunities to manifest that ambition. Do you see what I mean? But I was given the rare opportunity to do that. So I had the freedom to let my mindset develop, whereas lots of people don't. If you're stuck in a situation where you're on the breadline, you need to do, you need to make ends meet sort of, sort of thing, and you have, you have that responsibility from a young age. So you don't have time to think about the kind of philosophy or mindset of how you need to get uh, well, how you get to where you need to be, you know. Okay. So, and when you think about when we think about mindset, typically, in my opinion, the developmental mindset is always the best one, and perhaps not to always victimize ourselves, but accept our past for what it is, and to move forward into the future. Just how important has your past been to shape who you are now as a young man? Oh yeah, massive. It gives you just a different type of edge, I think. And also, like, when you make, when you have big decisions or you have big, um, or like, yeah, like big goals and targets, when you're coming from a place where you don't have a safety net, like, let's say, for example, I went to the school and I flopped. I'd be back where I was seven years ago and nothing would have changed. But for some of my friends, for example, not, nothing against them, but if everything fails, often the, the money or the kind of class serves as a safety net often. Uh, so coming from where I came from, there was always a bit in me for a long, long time. I was just very scared of failure because for many reasons, like, yeah, the safety net thing I mentioned, but also like, I felt like it wasn't just me who's been given this opportunity, but my whole family. And like, I felt their pressure on my shoulders, even if it wasn't directly given by them, I just still felt it. So yeah, I, it was, it was just a combination of those things. I, I just, I think from early on, I, I was switched on, but I didn't always know the best way to to act on that feeling but I was always I was I've always been quite driven in that sense so when you think about that safety net that perhaps is afforded to those that could financially afford to fail mm. as you said with yourself you knew that your family was riding on it you knew there was other pressures that you had so how did you remain strong enough to be able to handle it mentally and emotionally and why I asked that is because Sometimes pressure makes diamonds, but sometimes pressure cracks us as well. Yeah, How have you been able to not crack, but stay so resolute under that pressure? Yeah, I mean, the truth is there are times where I cracked. You know, like we're, we're, we're only human. But I mean, I've been blessed that we do have, at the school I was at anyway, this doesn't reflect every private school, but the one I was at, there was a lot of support. And like, especially for my circumstance, the, the support from the charity also filtered through as well. So 
they wanted to check up on me, like if things were going all right, you know. Um, but yeah, it was basically a mixture of support and I don't know God's grace. Like, just yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's looking looking back. I I don't know. I just kind of just kind of did it. I was so busy and so I saw all these different ideas in my head, learning so much. Just had the drive and just didn't even have time to to crack in a sense. If that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard to describe. And when you think about what you, so again, there's, there's this um, concept of, um, what's it called? Um, I forgot the term that I'm looking for. What's it, a syndrome or an outsider? It's something to do with being an imposter outsider. Syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome, that's the one I'm yeah. looking for. Did you ever feel imposter syndrome? And if you did, it's not many people rise out of it. Some people allow the fact that they're perhaps the only black person in a room full of white faces to phase them. How have you been able to perhaps stay in the environment that you have and not let it become something that's daunting? Mm. Well, I mean, I had imposter syndrome all the time, even up until my opposite, like, all the time. But I'm not sure what it, what it was, but every time I had it, I just, it was just almost fuel. It just added it to the fire. Like I was just, it just made me more hungry. It's like, well, I've just got even more points to prove. Like, even though I don't necessarily always feel like I belong, it's like, well, let me prove it to someone or who, whoever that, whether it's that little voice or, or actually someone, it's like, well, this is just more of a reason to prove them wrong, prove myself wrong, you know? Um, yeah. And with that, I suppose, um, recently I was reading David Lammy's new book. I'm not sure if you've seen it, called Tribes. And it speaks about how our need to belong can break society. And I suppose with your need to, I, su I guess if I'm gonna guess or assume, the need to belong somewhere, to feel valued, to feel wanted, and to feel like you can achieve something, right? Mm. Just how important is it to have positive influences and how, how does negativity stay away from yourself perhaps? How do you allow it to only be positive and not nothing negative? Yeah, I mean, I, in my personal opinion, I think it gets complicated because I read this book and it was talking about the kind of psychology of fear. And the guy's argument was basically like, well, in a lot of ways, fear is more potent than love and no, than hope and hate more than love in that sense. But it's not, it's not a sustainable or healthy way to live. So I think in a way I was fortunate that I had that kind of fear of failure in the back of my mind because that was kind of like one up. I have no choice but to succeed in a sense. But then also the positive influence was, was less from me and more from, you know, good friends, good like house, uh, house staff, house parents. Um, so I, it, it basically me just being fortunate, like it was less about my, it was obviously partly mental resilience, but it was less me convincing myself to have positive influence than actual positive influence given by others. And is there ever a fear, perhaps, that the life you grew up in would be one that may repeat in your future at all? Is, sorry, is there a fear? Is there say? a fear? Because for some people, um, I remember I saw a very interesting quote that said, two, there was two sons. One son said, I saw my father drink. He ends up becoming an alcoholic. The other son said, I saw my father drink and you know he never drank at all. Just how are you going to ensure that you don't perhaps end up in that kind of situation or you don't allow others to influence. I, I, I suppose you don't allow others 
to see what you've gone through and to think that they can't make it out? Mm. I think there's just too much at stake. Like, I've been through too much. I worked too hard to let my beginnings overcome me. Do you see what I mean? Yes. There's too many people who need to be helped. There's too many people who need to also benefit from this from these sort of programs for me to kind of like roll over and let my situation win, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, like it sounds it almost sounds dramatic, but literally whatever it takes, I'm not I'm not ending up back there. Like once you experience it, there's yeah, it's it's not even a, it's not even on the table. <laughs> you know, it's not an option um for me. In my the way I see it to be honest. And the bottle program gave you the opportunity to be able to go to private school and as you said you were picked as one child that mm. they saw the potential in and your school signed you up for it if you could just explain to the viewers what the bottle program is yeah so bottle uk is uh, an organization which takes kids either from foster care or some sort of family dysfunction um usually in you know worse areas that's where it's most prevalent generally speaking um and put them into boarding schools bottle uk it's specifically boarding schools but there are other charities like it which just do um private schools in general and the idea or the the theory behind it is um to be an alternative to the foster care system or the estrangement system because like you know like the, these systems are designed to be temporary like you if you don't get adopted you're kicked out of the house at 18 and there's no kind of support for the dysfunction that's happening back home but what Bottle and other charities try to do is um, put you in a situation where there is the support, there is the education, there is the mindset change I was talking about, and try to take you out of that situation. And then once you're out of the situation, you're in a much better position to help those around you. It's kind of like a ripple effect. You know, if you drop something into water, you get that whole ripple yeah. effect. It's the same sort of idea with Bottle. Um, and it's one of the charities which form a bigger umbrella scheme called BSP, the Boarding School Partnership. And they're all together trying to um, promote and enact this whole idea. And it's just been, it's grown quite a lot in the last few years. It was quite small when I first started. Well, no, well not that small, but relative to now, it was quite small. So uh, that's why I was the only one in my school. But they've, they've, they've uh, done it to a lot more kids now, which is really good. And it's still growing. Um, and typically there's been talk about the abolition of private schools. And I want to know, as somebody who's come from a background where you wouldn't have been afforded the opportunity, but thanks to Bustle, you had the opportunity to go to a private school. Yeah. How do you feel about people speaking about abolishing private schools? Because there's a conveyor belt of individuals with very similar ideologies that mm. go into politics and they don't change the way society operates. Mm. Well, this is the thing. When it gets political, this is where kind of... This is where we were saying before I'm more right wing is because my personal opinion is that look, we live, we're imperfect people living in an imperfect world. So naturally there are going to only be trade-offs and not successes. So when it comes to education, what are the options we have? Okay. We've got state schools. Some work well, some really, really don't. What about those who aren't privileged enough to have like, you know, a stable home life? Well, okay. Well, what, what if they go to foster care? How's that working? Not very well. So we look, we've got to look at alternatives and I always ask the question, well, what's the alternative? Now, this program provided an alternative, which is better than anything I've ever seen. And historically, I think there hasn't really been a better alternative. And 
we put we're, they're putting them into a place where again historically is actually quite elitist you know private schools were originally you know for wealthy boys and stuff and it has that history of elitism but slowly and slowly it's not the same it was six, 50 60 years ago like you, you you look at my school for example there's loads of diversity it's only a small school but you know like what almost 30 different nationalities um and it's not just one token kid it's like whole communities you know so we're moving to a place where private schools aren't what they were. We're actually, we're already at that place and we're just getting better and better and better. So to abolish private schools is almost taking two steps forward and one back. Okay. It's not solving anything. I think we're just eliminating another alternative. A better question is, or a better policy would be, how do we better use the asset of private schools rather than let's get rid of them and start again? Because it's not helping. You know, I, I, I really do think that, and as I said before, like, young ambitious people frustrated by the lack of opportunity that's where that's what we're dealing with at that level so to try and eliminate the class barrier by taking away a historically elitist system wouldn't actually work it's going well how do we instead of bringing everyone down how do we bring everyone up or or and and if we were to abolish private schools how do we make state schools better but then we've already you know we've, we've already tried we're just kind of going around in the same the same circle without solving anything. But if we keep private schools, but then better use them, I think we'll be in a much better place. Okay, and that's a very interesting mm. opinion. It's not an opinion that I hear often. I typically hear mm. the argument gets um, drawn down to simply let's abolish private schools. But it's, 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 it's good to hear a different take, I suppose. And I wanted to know, how did you deal with the dichotomy of coming from a background where perhaps you don't speak the same lingua, your mm. culture is also very different to the individuals you met. So how mm. did you deal with that relationship, culturally speaking? And I suppose a class speak, because some mm. people would say you went from a class lower and you went up. How did you deal with that? How did you navigate that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, like, when I look back, I, I, I remember my first day so clearly. I rocked up in this light blue night track suit night pouch and a pack of knickknacks in the pouch you know like, I, was, I was literally straight from straight from the end that's literally what it was like and i walk in everyone's in chinos i'm thinking where where have i arrived it's like fresh into Berlin, you know and and i was like oh wow okay so i felt the dichotomy straight away yeah and it was it was it's crazy because it was more than just a dichotomy it was two worlds okay. and they just but you know and it just took time for me to realize what well, hold on a second it doesn't have to be two worlds they can come together and that's where you really get productive that's where the change really happens i think it's when we realize that you know like it isn't them and us it can be together it can be togetherness and i think that's a goal we should really work towards hmm. okay and again my fear with politics nowadays and just i suppose interpersonal relationships is that it is typically them versus us. And uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And it's good to hear somebody speaks in the sense of we can come together and we can find, I suppose, a commonality in our differences, right? Yeah. So when we think about the commonality in our differences, did you find any similarities with your experience of the ends compared to their experience, which is a completely different world? <sighs> similarities? uh as an a not really i'll be honest i'll be like yeah i'm, yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you like yeah like language culture class opinions on stuff sport 
Every everything was different. Mm. But yeah, it yeah, it, like in terms of those sort of things, the bare bones, everything felt different. You know, and I, I guess the important question is to ask why. You know, it, how do how do we get to that point? Everything was just yeah, completely different. I can't I can't actually think of like year seven, my first year. What what did I really have in common? Not really, like not really anything, really. Like yeah, <laughs> I can't even think of one thing. Oh wow. Yeah. Were you ever asked the question, "What are you doing here, and how did you get here?" Not directly, okay. indirectly. Like, like you know, you know, it's kind of like, oh, what... is it cut out? Oh, is that oh, my it, back? It cut out, by the way. It cut out after indirectly. Indirect, yeah. No, so yeah, so I haven't. I wasn't asked the questions indirectly. I think in kids like. Playing up. Wait, did it? Oh, you're good? right. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I can, I can hear you. So it cuts out a little bit. Yeah, it cuts out um, indirectly. What, twice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Um, I think, yeah, because we were kids, it just kind of came up in other conversations. So when we're talking about what we're doing in the summer holidays, some of them might be, no, or winter, like any sort of holidays, one of them, some of them might be, I don't know, skiing or something. But then I'd be going back, back home and then asking, like, oh, like who's, uh, or just talking about general plans. Mine was always, I'm going to go back, do this and that, meet my friends. And theirs was always something like bougie, basically. <laughs> um, and sooner or later, people started thinking, oh, yeah, like, oh, so, so, so what, is, what does your mum do again? Like, what, what does your dad do for work? Oh, oh, my parents are split. Oh, what does your mum do? Oh, she's unemployed at the moment. Oh, and then it's just like, well, how does it? But because we're all kids, there's a certain level of perspective that we don't have yet, which is just natural. It's like people don't understand that you don't just have a certain amount of money you you earn the money or you're given the money or you know something so when it's like oh well what house do you have or you know what car do you drive it's like well my mom doesn't drive and like my dad's not around you know and slowly but surely like those sort of things were uncovered but it wasn't malicious it just kind of came out and i i think because we're all kids like even if we didn't have that much in common necessarily like or no not even necessarily on paper um it didn't really matter Mm. Like we still went to the same school, we wore the same uniform, we played the same sports, we watched the same stuff on TV, like, and that's just kind of what it was. Like, you know, like I could come from wherever, but we still jump on the P4, play FIFA. It's the same sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's good that you. St if I started, I think if I started in sixth form, it'd be a different story. But because mm. I joined when I, when I did, you just kind of kids doing like kids being kids. And I think kids represent the best and the worst in humanity. Um, you mm. look at children, they're so innocent, but at the same time, they can be so, quote unquote, without being religious, um, devilish in a sense as well. And I, I wanted to ask you, when you think about who you are now as a young man, especially, you know, you said recently that you um, went with, to your dad's, you had a sibling's wedding, right, if I'm correct? Yeah, that was um, when I was 16, when I was 16, yeah. Okay, and um, are you in better contact with your dad now, or was there a period where you were no longer in contact? Um, yeah, so I met him that like, one time, um, and to cut a long story short, I was like, yeah, that's, I'm not going to meet him again. <laughs> like, okay. just quite disappointing, really. Like, it, um, I wasn't expecting much, 
because I kind of heard what he was like. But yeah, it's just an important thing to do, I guess. And it was inevitable anyway, because I wasn't going to miss my sister's wedding and he was going to be there. So it was inevitable that we were going to meet and talk. But yeah, very disappointing. Very, He was very unapologetic, didn't really care. He was happy to call me a failure, you know, like things like that. Yeah. But what can you do? Um, but yeah, just got to move on. And what happened with you in childhood was quite traumatic, understandably. And your mum had to deal with everything that went on. And I suppose as a young man, typically we have to navigate our own sense of masculinity and manhood. How were you able to do that without your biological father around? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. Um, like, it's a natural thing for guys anyway to always seek father figures. Um, I mean, yeah, I was blessed in my school to have some good role models that I could look up to, but my uncle was, um, even if he wasn't around physically, he was always kind of checking up. And I really look up to my uncle, like, just, he's, he's got a next level of just hunger and grind that I haven't seen anyone else, like, ever. He, he comes from really, from quite a bad background himself, but yeah, he's really made some of himself. And even when I was little, I always knew, like, he always had a bit more money than everyone else. He always just sounded a bit more intelligent than, than everyone else. And yeah, he's a massive role model for me, I think. So having him around really helped. Okay, so when we think about when you how you had to navigate masculinity and manhood, but that was through your uncle. Was there mm. ever a yearning for your father amongst everything that happened, unfortunately, with the alcoholic and domestic abuse? Uh, yearning for him to what, like, do I his suppose job. to be there, you know, wanted to see him. W was there never that yearning? Because my father died when I was mm. six years old, but my mum and dad were together. And I think about my dad and everyone tells me how amazing he was. And obviously we come from very different worlds. Your dad perhaps wasn't the best, but children, we still crave our fathers, I suppose. Right? Oh, 100%. 100%, you, yeah. Did you ever have that moment? And was there a point where you just realised, was there a realisation where my dad's not going to come back, I'm going to have to be my own man and I'm going to have to show myself how mm. I'm going to be a man? Yeah, no, like I had... When I was in the junior year school, like seven, eight, nine, I had those thoughts a lot. And there was a point in year nine, I remember, and there was a big, like, uh, in the boarding houses at school, every Tuesday was something called an in-house night. We would all do something together as a house. And there was one where I skipped it because I was just in a bad mood, just, like, in my feelings type thing. And, um, yeah, I just kind of, like, really rationalised the whole situation. I was like, wow, oh, this isn't great. <laughs> You know, like, just really had that introspection, that moment. And I just broke down in tears. And I was just there, like, just thinking, wow, this is my situation. And if there was one moment, that was it, where I really switched and really kind of started to turn the tables. And that was where I realised, like, well, this is, this is what my dad's like. There's no point wanting anything to change because realistically it isn't, um, you know, I'm here... I've got these opportunities, you know, it's, it's, and it was, it was, yeah, that was the moment, I think. But of course, yeah, I had that yearning from, from young, from just as I got older, I'd say, yeah, up until about year nine, there was something in the back of my mind saying, yeah, um, maybe he'll, he'll magically turn up. Maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll pick me up from school and we'll, you know, do something, you know, that, that sort of thing. I had that, definitely. Okay. And... 
from my personal experience, I remember my cousin once said to me, he said, as children, we wear the sins of our parents. How have you been able to deal with the trauma of your childhood and also the absence of the father figure that you once yearned for? Oh, man. Some serious questions. These are, these are good questions. Uh, yeah. I, th I think it's, it's always... Yeah, that's it. In a word, it's awareness. Just, just being aware of where you are, you know, counting your blessings. But also thinking, like, who, who do I want to be? Who am I now? And what are the things stopping me from getting to that place? And oftentimes it's um, the questions of, well, this is what I learned when I was back in London. This is, this is what my, my dad did, my mum did. This is what maybe like a cousin did. And do I, want to, do I want to make the same mistakes? No, like in, in, in a way, it's a blessing that I can see the mistakes others have made and seeing the consequences and go, no, I don't really want that. So I'm going to do something different. And that's what it really boils down to. I think that's what it boils down for me as well. Okay. Because I, I think we forget childhood is so pivotal. Childhood shapes us to become the individuals that we are. And sometimes it, it, it is so predeterministic that no matter what some people try to do, they can never come off the path that was laid for them. You came off mm. that path. You came off that path thanks to your mindset and also thanks to the organization that um, helped, gave you opportunities. Then you also had your uncle that was a father figure. Were there any other factors around you that were constant reminders that I can't give up, number one, and number two, I've got to do better for myself and my siblings and perhaps also your mother? Mm. Well, for me, obviously, I know this isn't the same for everyone, but I'm a Christian, and that there was pretty much everything. It was the foundation of my being, pretty much. Like, in my head, I couldn't fall, I could only fall a certain distance because that was always there to kind of keep me up you know so that really was a massive help and as I developed as a person my faith also developed and I think it's been a real cornerstone of my life really growing up um and it, it kept me sane it kept me healthy it kept me driven so that 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 was the what one of the other factors and probably one of the biggest I'd say or if not the biggest and when did you find Christianity and just how important has christianity become in your life yeah so when we first uh, stopped being homeless the people who took us in were from a church so i think that really helped can you hear me yeah can you hear me all right can you hear me yeah 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 i can hear you can you hear me julian hello sean can you hear me? <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I can hear you. Yeah, oh, yeah, perfect. Yeah, so those you who took me in were Christians. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. I think so. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, those who took me in were Christians. Sorry, it cut out. Perfect. Yeah, that's my friend. Hi, Daniel. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so those okay, who took me in were Christian. My mum and myself were Christian. Uh, they were Christians who took us in. So we had. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So for us, um, the mindset 
of one of the, the kind of opinion of Christians was different to what it is nowadays. Often people think of them as kind of judgmental or, you know, those sort of things. But for us, it was, uh, you know, there, it was an image of love and kindness and grace that people don't often see from Christianity. So that was the first thing. So from there, my mindset was different to lots of people just in that, in that sphere. And then growing up, I started to do more investigating myself. I'd say my faith really became what it is now um, in the last few years when I've really started to dig. And like, I want to study philosophy next year, so I'm always asking these big questions, asking any of my friends is what I talk about. But um, yeah, so I just did a lot of digging, did my own kind of research and study. And yeah, I think in light of the evidence and light of my own experience, that's, yeah, that's why I'm a Christian. And as you said, Christianity is a big reason why you are the way you are now. In the foreseeable future, um, some people would say, I, I suppose this is, this is maybe my projection, this is my belief. I think sometimes humans don't give themselves enough agency. The power that we have and the things that we do, we render it to something that's supernatural, I suppose. And... Um, in the foreseeable future, what I wanted to ask is, where do you see your life going? And how important do you think your earlier years in terms of adolescence have been to where you want to be in the future? Mm. Um, Career-wise, I want to be a lawyer. Uh, you know, defend those who don't have the means to defend themselves. Um, uh, and then... Yeah, I've got a, a few other goals. Like I really want to plant a church. Um, I've already, like, I'm starting a program soon to help me do that. Um, and, yeah, like, just see where that takes me. There's the, in, just in those two things, there are a lot of development and progression options that can happen. So I just want to, yeah, just run with those things. And I think that my experience as an adolescent or even younger or older have really helped me to... Yeah, just like gain a bit of perspective, just gain some experience. You know, like people, as I said before, the minority of schools in the UK are, are private and even less are boarding. So that in itself is a rare experience. And you couple that with where I came from, it's like even a, an even smaller percentage. So I've been blessed in the sense that I've um, experienced a wide range of things that people don't usually experience in 11 years. Uh, but that's what I did. And then carried on and then 18 years um I've, I've i've kind of been through a lot so i think it's really helped me to know where i want to go and have a clear picture of how to get there as well and as you said you were afforded an opportunity that not many would have had what do you think your life would have been like if bottle didn't intervene and give you the opportunity that you had mm. yeah you know it's, i think it's the question i'm asked the most and in a way it scares me because I look at, um, you know, lots of my friends that I grew up with in primary school and what they're doing now is, you know, illegal to say the least, <laughs> you know. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 just, I just worry the, yeah. like, yeah, like where, where I would have ended up. And I'd, it's, it's such a loaded question in a way, in an interesting way, because there's so many variables. You know, like a conversation can change someone's life, but then this is something like astronomically different so yeah in all honesty i don't know but it scares me okay and i'm i suppose you're in a better position now because i also saw 
in the interview that you had with Good Morning that you were hoping to go to Oxford. What's your plans with that? Yeah, so um, with so yeah, so I, for Oxford, I applied for philosophy in Spanish. Um, had my interview and everything. The philosophy one went really well. Spanish not so well, and they send you this long document about like what you were like and everything. And in the in it in it, it said um, philosophy was. Uh, your, your essay and exam and interview was brilliant. You could have got in for philosophy, um, but the Spanish let you down. So they were like, we strongly recommend you reapply for philosophy and theology next year because at Oxford, you can't do philosophy just on its own. And then I, I kind of uh, had that, had a decision to make, but I really, really want to study Spanish as well. So instead I uh, chose my second choice, which is Exeter. And that's where I'm going in September for philosophy and Spanish. And how are you feeling about going to Exeter? Because you're going to go on and study at, again, another really prestigious university. Mm. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. So excited. You know, something new. Uh, I feel like a lot of people feel this that um, in secondary school, you know, like a new experience. And also it's one of the first ones where I've really had autonomy in choosing it. Um, you know, primary school, secondary school, people choose that for you. Now I get to choose my course i get to choose the university i want to go to and yeah i'm really looking forward to it and i, I suppose um with your siblings as well they're going to really look up to yourself julian i think you've gone on to do absolutely amazing things yes you were given the opportunity yes there were things that were given to you but it still takes hard work and as you said you forged a mindset not many would have. You've had experiences. There's been variables. You could have changed. You've, you've gone through a lot. With your siblings, just how important do you think what's happened to you has been and how you've dealt with things has been for them? Yeah, I mean, I almost wish I could get my brother on here now. He's been through, like, so much, you know, and um, he wasn't gifted the same opportunities that I was, so... Um, yeah, he, he lives in Croydon. I see him. Um, uh, yeah, I see him quite often. And he's got two kids. Um, so yeah, I've got like nephews and nieces and stuff. And same with my sister. She's got kids. Um, yeah, like they've both been through a lot. And I mean, I I think they they do they do kind of. Um, I think they are proud of what I've done and achieved and stuff. And but in the same way, I'm proud of them and what they've achieved in light of what they've been through. There's a nice reciprocity between us, which I quite like. But they're all older than me, yeah. Um, and they've all got kids. <laughs> okay, so were you the youngest? Because I assumed you had younger siblings as well. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was the youngest. and Because they, they're all half-siblings. Okay. Um, yeah, so they, they've got a different mum to me. Okay. So my dad's much older than my mum. Uh, my mum's, like, literally just turned 40. So, oh. And he's much older. So, yeah, so, so they're... The, uh, the oldest one's, like, in his 30s. So, yeah. And Different mums. And when you think about that dynamic you have with your siblings, as you said, they're proud of you. How does your mum feel about everything that's happened? And I, why I ask that is because I suppose you saw everything at your age, and as we've just said, you're, you, you're the youngest sibling. Just how, how cohesive has the relationship become with yourself and your mother yeah um well my mum was never that close with my siblings um and I've, i only reconnected with them at quite a late age about 15 
And I've only now started to come quite close to my brother, being like like 17, 18, I got quite close to my brother. Um, but yeah, in terms of myself and my mum, yeah, we've got, we've got a very, very complicated relationship. Like she's still working through a lot of things, as you can imagine. Um, and yeah, I want to do it justice. I won't get into it too detailed. But um, yeah, you know, very complicated. It, it can be quite unhealthy at times, which is why I moved out, to put it short. Um, but yeah, it's much easier to help when you're on the outside than when you're on the inside. So I just hope we can improve it in the future. Absolutely. And when, and what would be your advice to other people that have gone through what you've gone through or something similar? What, what would your advice be to them? And how would you, how would you tell them that there is light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I mean, I wish someone had told me this as well. Um, when you're in a bad situation, generally, um, it feels you just feel inundated with just problems and mess and everything. It's like, there's no way out. You can't see, as you said, the light at the end of the tunnel. The advice I would give is really try and think. Like, it's hard to always to separate emotion from rationality, but if you can really think and go, right, what can I control in this situation? And then change that and then see how your situation changes. Because often you can actually change more than you expect. And then when you're left with the rest of it, you just got to, you know, really, and really be like resilient. And, you know, like um, the whole thing of goals refined through fire, you know, like these sort of things produce perseverance and resilience and they're almost necessary for that. So I guess having that in the back of your mind as light at the end of the tunnel and being reassured that you're stronger than you think and you really can get through more than you expect. And, and also keeping good people around you is nothing worse than if you're in a bad situation, having bad people around you to make it worse. And that's another one of the things you can control. If you, you can, you choose your friends. So yeah. choose good ones, you know. And how important have your friends and your support network been to to become the Julian that I'm even able to speak to now. <laughs> yeah, I've got great friends. Hopefully, I think some of them are on this now, but yeah, no, I'm blessed. I'm blessed with my friends. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it really, you know, like they're, they're there for you when you need them and when you don't, <laughs> you know? So um, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for them. And I remember you were saying that you, some of your friends back in your area, some of them are doing things that are illegal, then you've got really good friends, as you said, that are going to be tuning in now. When you look at the comparison with the different paths both of your friends have gone down, perhaps would you take any advice that you have and give it to those who haven't gone on the per se straight and narrow? Mm. Yeah, I, I do think it's a lot of it is about perspective because let's say the ones back in, back in London, um, they're like treading water, just trying to make ends meet, trying to survive, trying to do what they can, trying to be resourceful. But people that I met at school, they're standing outside of the pool. They're looking down at everyone else, <laughs> you know, like they, they, they have that freedom to kind of express themselves and to um, make something of themselves, which other people don't really get, which is in itself a privilege. Um, so I guess it's just, just the, it does come down to mindset 
in lots of ways. But I guess the advice I would give is just trying to keep in mind that that privilege isn't only reserved for those people. And don't give up on trying to get there, is what I'd say. But it, it like, I think it, it's an oversimplification to say, oh, well, if you are doing bad things and just stop doing bad things and do good things, because it's not the reality of it at all. Um, you know, like, I guess that's, we're fortunate enough to live in democracy. And if by some chance we suddenly get a good leader, then vote for them and hopefully they can improve situations of those in those situations. Uh, sorry, those in those positions. Um, and then maybe they can provide more opportunities. But I, it is a bad situation and that's what makes it bad because it, every alternative is also bad. Um, so yeah, just keeping that hope in mind. And with, uh, I suppose every um, action also has a consequence, whether it be good oh. or bad. I don't think there's ever such a consequence that is utterly um, neutral, I suppose. And I wanted to 100%. find out, was there ever a moment where you wanted to go down another path that perhaps provided you with instant gratification as opposed to the path you've gone down, which is more delayed gratification? Oh, 100%. Like, if you... if um, Before I started to... So as the situation with my mom got worse, I started to stay um, at her house less and less. But before that happened, I remember going back and like, you go in, there's no food in the fridge, there's no electricity, we don't have Wi-Fi, hot water's off. It's just kind of like, we need money. <laughs> How do we get money? Well, there's a, I know a quick way. I know my friends who can show me a quick way. So it's those sort of options that seem that were there and that I really did consider just because of of the severity of what was going on at home. But yeah, it it was just often it was um at that last hurdle, but it was just telling myself and I just I know for a fact that if I wait ten years I'll be in a better position. And if I do this now, it really won't help me for that long term goal. I've always got to think long term. Short term isn't always helpful. Mm. And I think it's a mentality that some of us can afford to have based on our situation. It's a mentality that some of us seek out due to the dire needs of what's happening. So I would love to just get a last bit, just a last word from you, I suppose, of who you are now and just what the future holds for you. You know, if there's anything you want to say to anyone watching or anyone who's going to watch, what would you say to them, regardless where they're from, their background, religion, race, class, what would just be your advice all across the board? Yeah, my advice would be hard work pays off and not always in the way that you think it will pay off. Like people mm. think, well, if I, I want to I learn a lot of money, so let me work as hard as I can to get there. Oh, I, I failed. But look how much I learned. You, it's those sort of things. And that's part of it. Just thinking, yeah, let me work hard at every situation I can. Put extraordinary effort into ordinary things. Um, that's the first thing I'd say. Okay. Uh, second, second thing is, um, yeah, uh, keep good people around you. You know that whole saying of show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That's yeah, right. true. <laughs> yeah, um, do that. Also, like, read. Genuinely, like, I've, I've really started... Like, one of the other things that um, the school's gifted me is my love of reading, and it changes your life. Like, you know, if we look historically, the biggest tool of oppression was ignorance. Um, happened in the Soviet Union, happened with slavery, but 
the educated mind is the free mind. So educate ourselves and educate others around us and we'll be in a much better place. Um, and then finally, I just say like, you know, you know, like Tupac says, like, keep your head up. Things yeah. can always be worse. And you, and you, you never know you're, um, that you're at a peak. Like, obviously, life goes in peaks and troughs. You never really know you're at a peak until you start, until you're in a trough. So it's yeah. that thing of kind of blessings and what do I have? What can I be grateful for? And just, you know, keep going with that. That'd be that. That's what I would say. And last one, who are your role models? Oh, yes. Now, this is the thing, like I said earlier, obviously, I, 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 I think we're imperfect people in an imperfect world. So there isn't one person. I mean, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> but um, I'd say a mixture of people like my uncle, definitely, as I said before, um, my house parent, uh, my senior house parent at school. Uh, yeah, <laughs> big up Jeff is what someone put. That's the name. Um, yeah, and I say, yeah, mm, I think, let me think, let me think. Yeah, like, it sounds so cliche, but someone like Martin Luther King. Okay. Genuinely, like, like you watch some of his stuff, you read his speeches, you read what he was all about. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's amazing. Genuinely, like, revolutionary. So I'd say, I'd say those, those people. It's so interesting, though. The first two people you said were the people that are in your immediate circle, which says oh, a yeah. lot about, which says a lot, I suppose, about the system you have around you, revolving around you is a positive one. And, and it's one that other people need to incorporate into their life. I think, generally, I'm always excited to do a live, but the smile on my face says everything. When I speak to individuals such as yourself, <laughs> it reminds me that there is light at the proverbial end of the tunnel. And also, if we allow our vision to become jaded, we lose track of the bigger perspective, you know? Mm, and 100%. I'm excited. I'm excited to see where your journey goes. And when you're a lawyer, I'm going to be coming to you to come and represent some I, of my You think you're needed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. No, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, likewise, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, like... I, 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 yeah. Do you know what it is? I hope I won't need a lawyer, Julian. <laughs> yeah, me too. I hope you never call me again. I hope it's that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope I, I wouldn't have to call, but definitely I'm looking forward to us meeting up because, because, because you're close to me, I suppose, right? Yeah, very. Like, where, um, yeah, where I moved you from, Kennington, was for Hampton, like Auburn Square, yeah. right opposite the U. Yeah, so it's crazy. Like, yeah, I, yeah you know, I you know, know Eastwood Estate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where I was. Definitely, man. Like, we have to link up. And I just want to say thank you again for sharing your story. I know it's not easy. And there's going to be a lot of people that I think are genuinely going to feel inspired. You've given a lot of practical advice people can take away, you know? Yeah, well, I hope so. Yeah, I, I do. I really want to help. And people say that a lot, but I genuinely do. I really want to help. Um, so thanks for giving me the opportunity to try and do that. And yeah, thanks for what you're doing. Like I do, I, I watch, if not all, then some of your flower hours. I do enjoy them. So thanks for putting them on. No, I know people love them. I love them. Thank you so much. No, yeah. I appreciate that. Again, Ooh. it's just about giving people with different stories, different experiences, the space to talk about it. You know, we have platforms and it's just good for us to have these conversations. Julian, again, just thank you so much. And um, I'm going to write that article on you. As I said, I promise.
<laughs> yeah, thank, yeah. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me on. Blessings. Definitely. We'll talk soon, brother. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, man. Have All a good day. And you. Alright. Alright, bye. bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to having you again. If you've enjoyed, share, subscribe, follow, and make sure everybody gets to have the blessing that is conversations. And remember, Flower Hour is the podcast where conversations blossom.